Father, thank you for that reminder and that glorious song that our Savior rose from the dead. And because he lives, we too shall live. Father, as we open your word once again, Father, help us, Lord, to reflect upon the road to the cross, which our Savior took for our sins. And Father, may we see how it applies to our lives and how we should then live. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, if you'll take your Bibles with me, turn to the Gospel of Mark, chapter 14. Mark 14. We're stepping out of our study in the Psalms this morning, being Palm Sunday here. And as we approach the week where our Lord Jesus would be betrayed, he would be hung on a cross and crucified, and then the third day rise from the dead. But an important scene I'd like us to look at this morning uh, that happens right before Jesus is arrested. And it's we, we are coming to look at the account that we are given about Jesus and his disciples ascending to the Mount of Olives after the upper room. After his discourse with the, his disciples, he shared with them, he had the Last Supper with them, and then he said, let us go, and then they walked out of that room and they went up to the Mount of Olives at this point. And upon this Mount of Olives was a garden, as many of you know, the, it was called the Garden of Gethsemane, the Garden of Gethsemane. And uh, the, the name Gethsemane uh, means actually olive press, excuse me, olive press. That's where they actually had olive trees on that mount, and they actually had a, a press where they would press olives and then produce olive oil. And so that's why it's called the Garden of Gethsemane. And so we come to this point in Jesus' life that is so crucial to your salvation and mine. Because I think upon this event hinges your eternal destiny, my eternal destiny. But we, we need to pick it up at verse 26 before we go into the garden. But let's read verse 26 to 31. And after singing a hymn, they went out to the Mount of Olives. And Jesus said to them, You will all fall away because it is written, I will strike down the shepherd and the sheep shall be scattered. And there, of course, is a prophecy in the Old Testament, Zechariah, of that this is going to be the fulfilling of that prophecy where Jesus, the shepherd, will be struck down as on the cross and his sheep, the disciples, after that will be scattered. Then verse 28, 
But after I have been raised, I will go before you to Galilee. Now again, this phrase when Jesus talks about being raised, raised from the dead here, they don't get it right now. They are extremely sorrowful as they left the upper room. Because Jesus talked about his death coming up. And he tried to prepare them for this. But the sorrow had already gripped the disciples' hearts. But here Jesus is telling them all on the way up to the Mount of Olives, by the way, uh, all of you are going to forsake me. And look what Peter says, verse 29. But Peter said to him, oh, even though all may fall away, yet I will not. How confident Peter was. This was Peter's personality. He felt that he was the boldest of all the disciples and nothing could keep him from being faithful to Christ. And now Jesus makes it clear to him, verse 30. And Jesus said to him, Truly I say to you, that you yourself this very night before a cock crows twice, shall three times deny me. Jesus makes it clear. Jesus knows what's going to happen. Peter's going to deny him as his savior. And yet, verse 31, but Peter kept saying incessantly, even if I have to die with you, I will not deny you. And they all were saying the same thing too. So basically Peter is saying, no, Lord, you're wrong. There's no way I'm going to deny you. And then all the others chime in and say, yeah, we're with Peter. There's no way we're going to deny you. We won't be scattered. We're going to be with you to the end. But now we're going to see why this is so important that Jesus is trying to communicate to them the one weakness, one of the weaknesses and that is the weakness of the flesh, the weakness of pride, the weakness of, uh, of confidence in myself alone. And Peter was putting his confidence in his own ability to, to, to fight against the enemy and, and to be able to follow Christ to the end. But they are going to be tempted, each and every one of these disciples they will be tempted to forsake Christ. So with that as our introduction and background, we then come to verse 32. And let's look together, 32 to 34. And they came to a place named Gethsemane. And he said to his disciples, sit here until I have prayed. And he took with him Peter and James and John. And began to be very distressed and troubled. Began to be very distressed and troubled. The King James, uh, and, and then as he's saying this about himself, he's beginning to experience a burden like he's never experienced before in his earthly life. Verse 34. And he said to them, my soul is deeply grieved 
to the point of death. Remain here and keep watch. Remain here and keep watch. King James Version has it this way. And saith unto them, my soul is exceedingly sorrowful unto death. The Lord Jesus is suddenly experiencing such a pain and such agony that he feels he could die right then and there. Why is this? Why suddenly? Is Jesus just afraid of, of dying? There have been many people who have gone to their death and, and not had this kind of agony and pain and suffering as they looked at death in the face. But here we are going to find out exactly why Jesus felt this way. Why did he feel this way? And he, notice he tells Peter, James, and John, and again, he left the, the other eight disciples a distance away, but he, he wanted Peter, James, and John to go with him farther into the garden. And then he came to a point where he said, sit here, sit here and wait, but not just wait. What are they to do? Watch and pray. Watch and pray. He wants them to watch. And we're going to see later that he wanted them to, to be praying. While, notice back in verse 32, he said to them, to all of them, sit here until I have prayed. So he's speaking of his own prayer. So they knew what, what he was going to do. But then he's going to remind them what their job is to do, and it's to watch and pray. Watch and pray about what? That's the question. And so here we come to verse 35, and now we come to the point of our Lord Jesus going alone into a spot in the garden. Verse 35, and he went a little beyond them. And fell to the ground and began to pray that if it were possible, the hour might pass from him, and that it might pass by. And he was saying, Abba, Father, all things are possible for thee. Remove this cup from me. Yet not what I will, but thou wilt. So here he pours out his heart. To his heavenly father. And we will come back to this. And the Lord's prayer. And what he's going through here. But I want to finish up then. He goes back to Peter, James and John. Verse 37. And he came and found them sleeping. And said to Peter. Simon. Are you asleep? Could you not keep watch for an hour? Keep watching and praying that you may not come into temptation. For the spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. Here Jesus returns. And what are the three of them doing? That They're asleep. And he's particularly concerned about Peter. And he has to wake him up. 
And he found him sleeping and says to Peter, Peter, are you sleeping? Now, notice he doesn't use the name Peter in verse 37. What does he call him? He calls him by the name that Peter had before he was saved. His birth name, Simon. Notice he said to Peter, Simon, are you asleep? Well, anytime the Lord uses the word, uh, the name Simon, when he's talking to Peter, Peter knows he's done something wrong. That he, he, he did something the Lord uh, is not pleased with. And, uh, and, and so he comes to this point where Jesus finds him sleeping. And so he calls them out on it. And he's saying, couldn't you just pray for one hour with me? So now he's going to ask them again. He's saying, verse 38, keep watching and praying that you may not come into temptation. The spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. What temptation is Jesus talking about? To Peter and to, of course, James and John. What temptation and what weakness. Now, when, when Jesus said, you know, I want you to stay here and watch, keep watch. Uh, some people think that, well, Jesus is basically telling them, watch out for the soldiers that are coming. Because Judas is coming with the soldiers to arrest me. So Keep on the lookout for them. But this is not the case if we understand the context. That they were, they, they were to watch and pray about their own temptation because the enemy, Satan, was there. He was, he was beginning to work. He was working on the Lord Jesus Christ to tempt the Lord Jesus to, to step outside his father's will and to not go to the cross, just to act outside the father's will. But at the same time, Satan, Jesus knew that Satan would be there working on the disciples. For Jesus already told them, you're going to be scattered. You're going to leave me, Peter. You're going to deny me three times. It's going to happen. See, there is where the temptation would come. Satan is trying to get into the minds of the disciples with their sorrow and grief. He wants them to think all is lost. That you might as well throw in the towel. Jesus is going to die. Basically, you're done. You, you followed a false Messiah, a dead Messiah who would die. And so the, the, the three there, they're struggling with this. And Jesus knows that the weakness is there because they are tired, they're worn out, and they're full of sorrow and grief over what is about to happen, what Jesus told them would happen. And this is the temptation that they will come to a place where they will scatter and flee. And Jesus is saying, while I'm praying, I want you to pray. But pray for yourself. Pray that you would not be tempted to forsake me. Pray that you would be strong and your faith would stay strong. And watch, keep vigilant for the attacks of the enemy. 
Turn to Ephesians chapter 6, if you will, with me. Ephesians, familiar passage. The Apostle Paul speaks of the armor of God. Ephesians 6, look at verse 10 with me. Paul is now going to speak to the church about the spiritual warfare the believers in. And he writes in verse 10, Ephesians 6, finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Notice Paul does not talk about our own might, our own strength, that, that we should be having self-confidence. We should be bold in ourselves. You know, that's what the, the world tries to, um, uh, tries to face their, their fears and their problems with. Well, they're, you're told to suck it up. And, and, and be strong, do it on your own. And yet Peter's saying, uh, I'm sorry, uh, uh, Paul is saying here, be strong in the Lord. And in the strength of whose might? His might. Verse 11, put on the full armor of God that you may be able to stand firm against the schemes of the devil. He's reminding them that the devil is scheming against every single believer. He was doing it there in the garden as he was scheming against the disciples and getting them to a place of doubt, doubting Jesus, doubting God's plan and purpose. And so to stand against these schemes of the devil, Paul reminds in verse 12, for our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers against the powers, against the world forces of this darkness, against the spiritual forces of wickedness in the high heavenly places. Therefore, because of this battle, this spiritual battle that Satan is bringing against us, therefore, take up the full armor of God <laughs> that you may be able to resist in the evil day and having done everything to stand. Stand firm, therefore, having girded your loins with truth, having the put on the breastplate of righteousness, having shod your feet with the preparation of the gospel of peace. In addition to all, taking up the shield of faith with which you will be able to extinguish all the flaming missiles of the evil one. There he is speaking of Satan. The shield of faith is what will stop the flaming arrows of doubt that Satan shoots at our minds. And see, that's where Jesus was concerned about his disciples, their faith. In verse 17, and take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. Verse 18, with all prayer and petition, pray at all times in the spirit. And with this in view, be on the alert with all perseverance and petition for all the saints. You know, he speaks of the armor, speaks of all the armor, but what does he end with? He ends with, uh, some like to call it, you know, after you put the armor on, the cloak of prayer. If you recall Roman soldiers, uh, when they were dressed in their armor, many of them had, had a cloak attached to their collar and they could use that to cover up should there be rain and other things like that but we could call this the cloak of prayer paul is saying 
I, as you go to battle, you battle with all prayer and petition, praying at all times, what? In the Spirit. And that is exactly what Jesus was concerned about. He wanted his disciples to be on their knees praying during that time of darkness and a time when the enemy was coming at them. He, he was coming for them. Turn to 1 Peter chapter 5. Let's go over to 1 Peter 5, if you would. And again, another passage concerning our enemy as Satan is working against us. 1 Peter 5, verse 8. You see, Peter's been down this road, so he knows what he's writing about. Because he knows that the devil got him. That Satan got him once Jesus was arrested. Verse 8. Be of sober spirit. Be on the alert. That's exactly what Jesus was saying to them there in the garden. Be alert. Your adversary, the devil, prowls about like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. But... Resist him. Firm in what? In your faith. Knowing that the same experiences of suffering are being accomplished by your brethren who are in the world. Peter's saying, basically, I've been there. I faced the enemy. And I, basically, he, he knows what it's like to, to fall into Satan's temptation and trap and then, then sin. And, and therefore deny Christ. And so he's saying, when you be on the alert for the, the lion that's roaring and prowling around Satan, who is going after you and after me. And right now, the enemy is seeking to get you to a place where you would throw in the towel. In what, where you may be in a place of darkness in your own Gethsemane. And you're at a place where you, you, you don't know if you can keep going. And you, you just got hit with something else. And you're struggling to, to, to find answers and you, you don't see any. And then, then the doubts creep in. Lord, have you forsaken me? Where are you? We feel like God has left us alone. And you feel that loneliness and, and you feel forsaken. And it is at that moment that Satan really begins to work to plant the seeds of doubt in our mind, to doubt God's word, what God says, and to, and, and to kind of uh, come to a place where, where we kind of forsake our faith, as it were, our trust in the Lord, our complete trust in the Lord, knowing, believing that he is doing what is best, and he's in complete control. Peter is concerned about this, and so all of us are under attack this morning. So let's go back then to Mark 14. Go back with me to Mark 14, and we see, as we come to the Lord Jesus, as they are being tested and tempted... We find that Jesus 
is facing the greatest temptation he ever faced. As the disciples were facing theirs, the Lord Jesus again, there in verse 35, and he went a little beyond them, and he fell to the ground and began to pray that if it were possible, the hour might pass by him. And he prayed, Abba, Father. And of course, many of you know what that word Abba is. That's the Hebrew word for, that, uh, for daddy in our English language. It's what a child, a Jewish child, uh, would use uh, when he talks to his father. Just like your kids would call you daddy when they're very young. It's that intimate term. And Jesus is getting very intimate with his heavenly father. And he's asking God, his father, Lord, if there's one thing, could you do this? If it's possible, remove this cup from me. Remove this cup from me. What is the cup? Physical death on the cross? Is he afraid to be, he's thinking of what crucifixion is like and he's afraid of the nails and he's thinking of all the suffering? No, that's not the cup he's talking about. Jesus is about to carry the sins of the world on his body. The sinless lamb of God would become, as it were, sin for us on that cross and haul your sins and mine were laid upon him as he was crucified. And he knew what was coming. It wasn't the physical death, but it was the, the cup of the wrath of God that would be poured out on Jesus in your place, on my place. You see, God had to pour out his wrath on sin. And had Jesus not gone to the cross, you and I would be dead in our sins forever. There would be no hope. There'd be no heaven. We would all be condemned to hell because of our own sin. But God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him won't perish but have everlasting life. And so through faith in Christ, we know that our sins are forgiven because he became the sacrifice that God required a sinless, perfect lamb, as it were, as he was called the lamb of God. And he's asking, Lord, is there any other way for salvation for the people of the world other than me carrying all their sin and me being, being the sacrifice for sin and experiencing wrath from you? Imagine the son of God is going to experience his own father's wrath that God would pour out on wickedness and on sinful man he is crying for this to happen he's crying that there would the lord might take it away and you see it is here that satan is working the hardest because all he needs to do is to get jesus to say father I'm not going to do it. Father, I can't do it. I can't carry this into the world. I come to this point and in his flesh, remember, Jesus is human. He's God, the son, 
divine, but he's also all human, 100% human. And so he was weak at this point. He was, he, was, uh, he was agonizing over this in his flesh, his weakness, because, uh, he, and, and in his spirit, because he knew what was about to occur was something that he'd never experienced before, and that was separation from his heavenly Father. Turn to Luke quickly. Turn to Luke 22. I want you to see Luke's account of the garden. Luke 22, verse 39. And he came out and proceeded as it was, as it was his custom to the Mount of Olives. And the disciples followed him. And when he arrived at the place, he said to them, Pray that you may not enter into temptation. There he says it again here in this account. And he withdrew from them about a stone's throw. And he knelt down and began to pray, saying, Father... If thou art willing, remove this cup from me. Yet, he says, not my will, but thy will be done. Now look at the physical anguish that he's, he's experiencing. Now an angel from heaven appeared to him, strengthening him. That's how bad it was that the Lord, the Father sent an angel to just assist him and strengthen him. Verse 44, and being in agony, he was praying very fervently, and his sweat became like drops of blood falling down upon the ground. This is the kind of suffering that was going on this very moment in the garden. And Jesus could have said, Father, find another way. At that moment, if Jesus had said, I'm not going to the cross, Father, I can't carry the sin of the world. I'm not going to be the sacrifice. If he had stepped outside the Father's will at that point and, been, and acted independently, which all the while during Jesus' life, Satan was, every time Satan was tempting Jesus, he just wanted Jesus to act one time out against the Father's will. And what would that be? That would be sin. And he, he would thus win the victory. He's waiting for, Satan is in the garden waiting for Jesus Satan's cheering him on saying, come on, come on, call the angels down. Call the angels to come and, and set you free and, and, and just rise up and show your power. He, that's what he wants. And all the way to the cross, Satan, is as he's, as he's planning this all and plotting the crucifixion of Christ, the one thing that's, that Satan is trying to do is to get Jesus to a point where he's going to say, I've had enough. Do you remember at the cross? Jesus is hanging on the cross and the Pharisees and Sadducees are down in front mocking Jesus. And so they say to him, if you are the son of God, come down off the cross and we will believe in you. They were mocking him, testing him. And of course, Satan was behind that. He was behind them as their voices rang out trying to get Jesus to fall for the temptation to, to take himself off the cross and show his power and not go through with salvation, the plan the Father had. But here's the most wonderful words ever spoken, I believe, from our Lord Jesus Christ. Look at verse 
there, verse uh, 42, what does he say as he did in Mark? He asked that this cup might be removed from me, yet not my will, but thy will be done. Yet, and the, I love the King James, the way it's translated, nevertheless, yet not my will, but thy will be done. Jesus was crying to his father, don't let me go. Don't let me carry the sins of the world. For I am, I am holy and I'm pure. And I don't want to face your wrath. But here is the ultimate point of obedience of our Lord Jesus Christ. He said, Father, yet, nevertheless, no matter what, no matter what you choose, if there's no other way, thy will be done. In other words, he's saying, Father, I'm going to do your will no matter what. Even if I do have to carry that, that, that sin on, my, on me and become that sacrifice, then I will do it. And there hinged your eternal destiny, my friends. Jesus said, yes, Father. And Jesus would give later on the courage and the boldness to his disciples to be able to, when they were tested, yes, they failed once Jesus was crucified. But after the resurrection, the disciples saw the risen Savior and they received boldness in the spirit and strength. And they went on even to martyrdom because now their faith was sure and strong. And they would say too, Heavenly Father, whatever your will is, nevertheless, even if I have to die for my faith, for my Lord Jesus Christ, thy will be done. And this.